0: Hey there. It's the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House. And I'm Aisha Roscoe. I also cover the White House. And we have NPR's chief economics correspondent, Scott Horsley, here with us. Hey, Scott.
1: Hey, Tim. I used to cover the White House. Indeed you did.
0: (laughs) And now you cover the economy, which is convenient. Uh, The time now is 9.39 p.m. on Thursday, the 14th of January. And earlier this evening, President-elect Joe Biden outlined an ambitious plan that he hopes will help the nation make it through the twin crises, as he described it, of the coronavirus pandemic and its economic fallout. He is asking Congress to pass a $1.9 trillion sprawling coronavirus relief package.
2: And it's not hard to see that we're in the middle of the once in several generations economic crisis with a once in several generations public health crisis. The crisis of deep human suffering is in plain sight. And there's no time to waste. We have to act, and we have to act now. And Aisha, you were
0: there in Wilmington with Joe Biden when he made that announcement, delivered that address. What should we know about his plan?
3: So, you know, this is, as you said, a really big plan, uh, but what... Uh, Joe Biden and his team are saying is that this is what's needed to meet the moment. They're asking for direct payments of $1,400. That's to supplement that $600 that Congress passed in December. Um, It would also expand and extend unemployment benefits, um, give aid to small businesses. There's $130 billion in it for schools to safely reopen. And there's also uh, supposed to be a lot of money to stand up a, a national vaccination program and, and things of that nature. But this this is a really big
0: package, and some of it is a bit of a Democrat wish list, right? <laughs> oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, there, there many of these are items that we have heard Democrats talking about for a long time, certainly that we've heard them talking about, you know, since this summer when they passed their coronavirus relief bill in the House, but then it didn't go anywhere. Um, so... In in a way, you know, Biden, when Congress in in December passed this nine hundred billion dollar relief plan, he said it was a down payment. I guess now he's coming to collect the rest. Yeah, basically.
3: I mean, and that's why he he talked about it's going to like the current plan uh has gives $300 in a you know, federal funding for unemployment benefits and that goes I think through March or so. Scott can let me know. I mean, yeah, the
1: existing plan is it runs through March and 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 Biden's plan would bump that up to $400 and also extend the emergency payments through September or even longer if economic conditions warrant.
3: Yeah. So it's so it's things of that nature. It's, you know, expanding the payments um, and, and basically trying to get, you know, money into people's hands now.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess, Scott, March uh, is really soon. It sounds like with this plan, Biden is essentially saying, like, hold your hats, guys. This is going to be tough for a while.
1: Exactly, and and he's right about that. I mean, we are ten months into this pandemic now, at least on on U.S. soil, and it's looking as bad as it ever has. We're losing more than four thousand Americans every day, and in addition to the very real human toll, the the economic cost is now starting to mount once again. We learned last week that we lost jobs as a country in December for the first time since April. Uh, Just this morning, Thursday morning, we we learned that another 1.2 million Americans applied for unemployment aid in the first week of the new year. So both the the medical toll and the economic toll are just mounting. And, you know, we we all have our fingers crossed that these new vaccines are going to bring hope and relief from this pandemic. But that's going to take time, especially because the initial rollout has been so slow. In fact, Biden today called it a a dismal failure.
2: We'll have to move heaven and earth to get more people vaccinated, to create more places for them to get vaccinated, to mobilize more medical teams to get shots in people's arms, to increase vaccine supply, and to get it out the door as fast as possible.
1: But that's really what it's gonna take. I mean, everybody has acknowledged, and we've said many times, we're not going to have an economic recovery until we get a handle on this pandemic. Right now, we're moving in the wrong direction. Uh, so so I think if he can actually deliver on that pandemic relief, he's going to have some running room to, to deal with some of these other issues.
0: Many of these ideas have been proposed before and been knocked down by Republicans uh, in past negotiations. In the most recent negotiation, they were certainly – getting louder and louder about worries about the debt and the deficit and saying the price tag was too big. And now Biden is talking about another really big price tag. Um, But he is also trying to sort of anticipate those arguments that that he's going to get from the other party.
2: You know, I know what I just described does not come cheaply, but failure to do so will cost us dearly. The consensus among leading economists is we simply can't not afford not to do what I'm proposing.
1: Right. So what he's saying there is, okay. the price tag of doing this is one point nine trillion dollars. The price tag of not doing it is potentially even higher because we've got more than 18 million people right now uh, on on the unemployment lines. Uh, many of them have been on the unemployment rolls uh, you know, since March and are likely to stay on the rolls for for months to come. The longer it takes to solve this problem, the more uh, long-term distress there's going to be. The, the the more people might lose their their roof over their head. They might lose their 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 job skills. They, they, the scarring could be really damaging. And he's, he also argued that right now the government can borrow money at next to nothing. So it's a, it's a good time to take on additional government debt, even though our existing debt's pretty high, and and really tackle this challenge in an aggressive way. You know, the, the Trump administration has been uh, really aggressive in developing these vaccines in record time uh, or encouraging the private sector to develop vaccines in record time. But then they basically just gave the vaccines to the states and said, now it's up to you. And we've, we've seen that, that that hasn't been very, terribly effective. And and that's been you know similar to the administration's uh, sort of MO in dealing with the pandemic from the get-go. So President-elect Biden is pushing for a much more aggressive federal role. That comes with a price tag, but he's suggesting the payoff will be we get we get out of the pandemic faster, we have less scarring for the workforce, and people can go back to you know seeing their loved ones and, and, and living their lives the, the way they want to.
0: And certainly there are economists or even the Fed chairman who have been making a similar argument that, that you almost can't spend too much right now on, on, um, on stimulus. The other thing that stood out to me was, you know, Biden
3: really leaning into the idea that not only is this an economic argument, but that it's a moral argument. That there's a moral obligation uh, to help people who, especially, you know, first responders, people, you know, those people that have been working in the grocery stores and, and doing all these essential workers um, who have, who may be struggling to keep them in their homes and, and make sure that people are fed and and to make sure that people don't fall into really hard times at this moment.
2: It's the right thing for our economy. It's the fair thing. It's the decent thing to do.
0: All right, well, we are going to take a quick break. And when we get back, more on Biden's proposals, including something related to the minimum wage.
3: Support for NPR and the following message come from BetterHelp, offering online counseling. BetterHelp therapist Hesu Joe knows that lockdown has been hard on us as humans. We as people are hardwired to connect with others, which is why this whole time is so difficult. The connection that happens between people can be very powerful and how healing it can be to have a healthy relationship with someone. To get matched with a counselor within 48 hours and save 10%, go to betterhelp.com politics.
0: With civil unrest, the pandemic, and the economic crisis, you want to know what's happening right when you wake up. And that's why there is Up First, the news you need in about 10 minutes from NPR News. Listen every day. And we're back. And there are some other things in this plan that do not appear to be directly related to the pandemic response. And that includes a call from Biden to increase the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour.
2: To at least $15 an hour. People tell me that's going to be hard to pass. Florida just passed it. As divided as that state is, they just passed it. The rest of the country is ready to move as well. It should be a national minimum wage of $15 an hour. No one working 40 hours a week should live below the poverty line.
3: It's a big ask. And, and you know, when we we're talking about that wish list, uh, this has been a part of the Democratic wish list for a long time. And they, you know, they're making the case that it should be done now.
1: Now, w- w- when Biden says that Florida passed an increase to $15 an hour, it did. It's a it's a fairly slow phase in in Florida that doesn't get to $15 until 2026. But you know, there's there's 20 states that raise their minimum wage on the first of January. There are 22 local uh, cities that r- raise their minimum wage on the first of January. There is certainly uh, you know popular support for a higher minimum wage. The federal minimum right now is seven and a quarter. It hasn't budged since 2009. Uh, Fifteen dollars may be a reach for. For for a lot of business people and, and for some voters, but certainly uh, I think there's, there's momentum in much of the country for something higher than the current minimum of seven and a quarter.
3: You know, Republicans are probably going to really push back on this and probably not. I probably don't need that. Probably. Um, can this get? Can this package get through without some Republican support? Of course, Biden has said he wants it to be bipartisan, but uh, Congress, being what it is, does he need to bring some Republicans on board to get this done?
1: This is the thing to keep in mind. You know, Democrats are in a much stronger position, having won those two runoff elections in Georgia and having a very narrow margin in the Senate. Not much bigger margin in the House so they they do have uh you know more control than they would have had those runoff elections gone the other way but they're going to they're going to need republican support to do a lot of what they want to do on their agenda that said if if push really comes to shove they could try to pass some of the economic pieces of this proposal through Reconciliation, which requires only a simple majority vote. Remember, that's how Republicans passed the 2017 tax cut. The signature legislative accomplishment of the Trump administration was done on a straight party line vote as well.
0: Scott, we have we have fallen into uh, legislative rabbit holes here. Can you uh, help us better understand what reconciliation means in this context?
1: What what we what we should say is it's 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 a legislative maneuver that allows the majority party to pass a pass a, a, a financial legislation without the threat of a filibuster, that is, without needing to have 60 votes to, to overcome the opposition of the, of the minority party.
0: Well, this will be the first test of many of what what Biden's governing majority looks like and whether Joe Manchin ends up spending more time you know, voting on the Republican side of the world and whether someone like Lisa Murkowski will end up voting more on the Democratic side of the world. Um, you know, th- this could be, you know, a future where moderates rule, potentially.
1: Joe Manchin could be the Susan Collins of twenty twenty
0: one. I bet I'll bet he'll get an invitation
3: to the White House pretty soon. I <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of
0: Joe Manchin at the White House. Okay. Um one more thing to note before we go. This was a pure policy speech. And this happened, this speech a day after President Trump was impeached for the second time and Biden made no mention of impeachment or his predecessor. Um, And he he did something I think we're going to see a lot of going forward. He emphasized national unity.
2: When America acts as one, there's never been a single thing we've been unable to do no matter how consequential the issue has been. Out of all the peril of this moment, I want you to know I give him a word, I see the promise, the promise as well. We've seen clearly what we face now. And I remain so optimistic about America.
1: That was what was so striking in, in I thought, this speech. It, it, was, it was not soaring oratory. That's not Joe Biden's stock in trade. But there was uh, a, definitely a note of empathy. Uh, and there was a note of humility, which are two things that have... Uh, often been missing in in words from the president during the last four years.
0: Well, we will leave it there for now. Scott, thank you so much for coming back on the pod.
1: Always good to be with y'all.
0: Yeah, and we will be back early tomorrow with a special episode for you. Keep your eyes on your feeds. That is all I will say about it for now. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House. I'm Aisha Roscoe. I also cover the White House. And thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.